Hello, thanks for joining us. My name is David Malone. And my name is Ian Stroud. This is Hyperland. On the show today, we have got my son, Ian Malone. We've asked him to come along and talk about the hydrogen economy because uh, he's doing a PhD in chemistry of hydrogen production. And when we were talking a couple of weeks ago, it suddenly occurred to me he knows quite a lot about what's going to unfold. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Now, Ian, I've, I've, I thought I'd do a bit of research before. So I sure. downloaded, I've downloaded a review of 11 hydrogen production and various storage and transport options. Okay. I got down to the first graph and I didn't really understand it. <laughs> and then I thought, well... Ian's coming on, so he can explain it all to us. I'll do my best. <laughs> so look, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're actually doing in the PhD and then tell us a little bit about the meetings that you were going to? Because that was when I suddenly thought, ooh, we should get him on. Yeah, sure. So my PhD is on um, a particular type of hydrogen generation um, method, uh-huh. which is um, it's called anion exchange membrane water electrolysis which is a very long <laughs> winded name well this is why um, i got down to the graph and i went yes this yeah. is beyond me yeah but but in essence um i'm just trying to find a way to split water into oxygen and hydrogen using electricity right. um and uh, try and do that in the most efficient way possible to make a lot yes. of hydrogen and not have a device that breaks down because a lot of the processes they produce possibly the same amount of electricity than it takes to produce that hydrogen is that right so well it's it's an inherently inefficient process so yeah you're you're just putting electricity into this reaction and getting the same amount getting hydrogen out yeah um but you'll have lost some energy along the way in terms of heat loss and and other things so Um, but the process that you're looking at is more efficient than that it's it's trying to improve those efficiencies yeah um but it's yeah it's on one of these one of these techniques and i i'm i'm looking at the um how durable the process is and trying to make it uh make the device that does this reaction last longer so it's more commercially viable because yeah. ultimately what we want to do is bring down the cost of hydrogen production um how and, do we make hydrogen at the moment because we, yeah. we we have got hydrogen do we do it in a sensible way so the the main production at the minute so there's there's about um 90 million tons of hydrogen produced each year wow. which is <laughs> yeah yeah and and so that's for all applications in the chemical industry um yeah um big one is ammonia production so ammonia is nh3 and that's the main component that goes into fertilizer so it's, it, that comes from bio waste no so that comes from uh, they they get um air and yeah. then they, um, they they liquefy it and basically distill it, right. so you get the nitrogen out of the air. Uh, I've got you. Um, so uh, and then and then they get um, then they get hydrogen, which is from this process called steam methane reforming. So <laughs> <laughs> what that is is we take our methane, we take water, and then we basically heat, heat them to really high temperature, um, and the the methane, which is one carbon and four hydrogens strips the hydrogen off that right and then you're left with hydrogen and then lots of co2 so much co2 in fact that for every 
every um, kilo of hydrogen that you make, you make 10 kilos of CO2. So that 90 million tons of hydrogen uh, results in 900 million tons of CO2. Wow. Um, and that's, yeah, that's about 3% of the world's CO2 emissions. So that's not going to go down too well with the, the climate activists. No, uh, no, it's a, it's a, I mean, it's a bigger, like that's tw- almost twice as much CO2 as um, is produced by the whole of Canada, for example. Okay, well, that's a bit bonkers then. So people having hydrogen cars thinking, yes, it's clean technology. It's actually a filthy technology given the way we're producing the hydrogen. If, and if we could produce the hydrogen in a more sensible way, then it would be a clean technology. Is that right? Yes, yeah, pretty much. So you any any application of hydrogen that people are claiming as being clean, green, or whatever, if you're if you're producing it from steam methane reforming, then it's not the case. Now, you may have heard these sort of colours of hydrogen. That uh, green hydrogen. Yeah, yeah, so there's green, there's blue, and there's grey, and there's pink, and all these things. Hi, I've heard of the grey one as well. <laughs> right, so I don't know how useful those colours are, because people then sort of say, oh, which colour was that again? Yeah, and, when you could like just the, talk about what it actually is. It's like this, they, they, just, they say it's like the supermarket, it's good for you, red, the, the so tropic lights. Kind, like. kind of, yeah. So the, the, what I just described, the, the, the methane reforming, that's, that's grey hydrogen, so that's, that's right. pretty bad. And the other bad one is uh, what they call black, which is the same process, but rather than from methane, you're getting it from coal. So it's okay. even dirtier. Yeah. Um, Wait a minute, so they burn coal... To make hydrogen, yeah, it's um, yeah, gas, coal gasification. Oh, coal, right, okay. Yeah, you make um, syn gas, so that's a mixture of hydrogen, carbon monoxide, and um, that was one of the potty methane. things. This our government was trying to do uh, offshore. It was all connected with fracking. They were going to do coal gasification underneath the sea, out off the North Sea. All right, this is news to me. I mean, we used to, we used to do it all the time. Yeah, um, that that was how all the gas that we burned was was syn gas now it's natural gas yeah that was when we had old town gas exactly yeah so we were burning you can rely on the uk government to go back to the oldest filthiest technology (laughs) at the drop of a hat okay well anyway let's try and move forward yeah so so that so you got your gray and then your black that's bad now there's um what some companies trying to do and what's being pushed quite a lot is what's called blue hydrogen um so that is your uh, steam methane reforming, but then you do carbon capture. Yeah. Um, so then you and you store that CO two somewhere, um, and there, there's uh, yeah a lot of money being put into this and big projects being put forward okay. for this because the technology is uh, supposedly more well established. But it, I, I, yeah, I'm I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I personally, my my views that the blue hydrogen is a bit of a waste of time and a waste of money. Okay. Because uh, really, what you want is the green, yeah. and that's that's your hydrogen that's produced from water um, and through an electrochemical process. Is so it, uh, water and renewable electricity. That's that's is, low, is, zero is emissions. There, there are aluminium involved in that as well. Nope. No, okay. no, no aluminium. All right. I'll I'll show. You. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, c- going forward then. If we get to a position where this greener mm. case, there's other issues with storage and transportation, you know, the network that we've got to get the energy out. Yes. Yeah, so that so we, we got our generation. Green is clearly the, the way we want to be doing it. Yeah. But then there's what do you actually want to use the hydrogen for? Good um, question. So there's a lot of talk about, yeah, fuel cells, versus electric cars or whether we want to use hydrogen in heating systems and all this kind of thing yeah but first first and foremost my view is that we're already 
using 90 million tons of hydrogen for other things. So if we can actually decarbonize that to start with, yeah, that would be that would be the Huge place to thing. begin, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like we, we we produce a tiny amount of hydrogen from <laughs> green sources at the minute. So if we could get that all the way up to to replacing the current production, then that's an easy thing to solve. Why? I know I'm going backwards, but why are they pushing blue hydrogen? What is there a logic behind it? Uh, yeah, because people make a lot of money out of extracting methane. Oh, there you go, David. That's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure that's right. Yeah. It, it, would they claim that it's sort of we need to do it in the short term or something? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there is a point that um, the steam methane reforming process, it has been proven at scale. You can do a, a, a massive plant of one of these things. Um, so to get a lot of produce a lot of hydrogen very quickly you you would do that the carbon capture side of things is less well um established okay but um but yeah they, they would say to get the hydrogen economy going you've kind of got this chicken and egg problem so which is that no one wants to uh invest in technologies which utilize hydrogen because it's not enough made at them and then nobody wants to build the say the electrolyzers because there's nobody who wants to use it yet so. Oh, okay, so they need to create the market, but the problem is the way we're producing hydrogen to to build the market is so, as you said, produces huge amounts of carbon yeah. dioxide. So it's really, yeah, okay. yeah. And with on the blue hydrogen, there's there's quite a good paper. I, I I forget the name of the author now, but um, the title is "How Green Is Blue Hydrogen?" Um, and the conclusion is not very green. <laughs> In fact, right. you're well, you're often better off. Um, the point that he makes is you're. You'd be better off just taking your methane and just burning that straight right. up. That would be more efficient than taking your methane, stripping the hydrogen off it, capturing the carbon. Yeah. Well, we'll find that report and put a link into the notes. Mm. Okay, so you're you're one of the people working on the next technology. Yes. Okay, so without going into too much technology. About, a bit about that, yeah. Just tell us... W- w- how it might work and why it's better okay so with the green hydrogen you've kind of got you've got three different technologies for doing that mm-hmm. um so the first one is called alkaline water electrolysis this has been around for a really long time um it's uh yeah well established technique you basically got two um two electrodes um your positive electrode negative electrode um and at one of these you produce oxygen and at the other one you produce hydrogen and in between, you've got an electrolyte, which is a really concentrated alkaline solution. Yeah. And these these systems, they're very cheap. Yeah. Um, the catalysts that they use are like uh, nickel and iron based. Um, Still no aluminium. No aluminium. <laughs> you're going to have to give up on the aluminium. I, I, you're going to have to sell those shares. It's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if, if you want to get onto buying precious metals, I'll, I'll, I'll get onto that down the line. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a very, it's a very cheap process, uh, in terms of building a system, but the efficiency of the process is, is not very high. Um, so when we want to produce, if we want to, uh, compete with the steam methane reforming, which is very well established technology, we need to bring down the cost of the hydrogen that's produced from the the, the green sources. So you need a, a more efficient, electrically efficient way to do that. 
Is the efficiency the amount of electricity you have to shove into those electrodes to split the water to get the high? Is that exactly? Is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you need you need a, a, a way of doing it where you're not having to put so much electricity in because you've got to generate that electricity by yeah. burning gas or coal or something. Well, yeah. So I mean, the, the hope the the hope is that we'll be doing that using renewable electricity, which is currently is cheaper than any other form of electricity. Yeah. Um. And the more of that we have on tap, then the that will bring down the cost as well. Okay. So you, you, you can actually lower the cost of your production without even changing your electrolyzer just by having more cheaper electricity. Okay, so but, we build more wind farms and that's a, that's a big help. That's, then yeah. the electricity we're using is at least, as you say, renewable. Exactly. But now we want to get better electrolyzers. Is that right? That's right, yeah. So from the, the second type of electrolyzer, it's what's known as a PEM electrolyzer. So that stands for proton exchange membrane okay so I'll, I'll explain try and explain that to you a little bit is that what you're working on not not quite <laughs> i work on the third type <laughs> okay so so the pem electrolyzer they're, they're currently being commercialized um and what what they have they have these two electrodes much with the alkaline one but instead of a, a liquid electrolyte between the two they have a solid um polymer electrolyte so it's like a a, a thin sheet of cling film basically yeah uh, but it's very fancy cling film um, because it can conduct um, protons, so H+, plus, so hydrogen ions, if you like, through uh -huh. it. So what that allows you to do is bring your electrodes really, really close together, yeah. and that reduces the resistance of the reaction. So if, okay. you, if you've got a low resistance, that means you ne need less a lower electrical input yeah. to produce your hydrogen. Yeah, good. And there's a whole bunch of other advantages as well. Um, but yeah, so that lowers the cost of your electricity, Oh, that sounds great. What are you fiddling on with the third one? For? So I think there's a but. The, there is a, there is a but. So the disadvantage to this type of system is the type of catalysts that you need. So okay. I said you need cheap nickel iron catalysts for the the alkaline. Yeah. For this, you need um, platinum and iridium catalysts. So I'm buying shares in platinum and iridium. 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 Yeah, <laughs> iridium's the one to go for. So for <laughs> for some perspective, <laughs> I think it's I think it's. $4,000 an ounce, wow. roughly, for, for some just straight-up iridium. The, yeah. And the reason for this is because there's, there's so little in the Earth's crust, yeah. um, and it's actually distributed in a layer evenly across the Earth because it's only come from space. Oh, okay. Yeah. That sounds like one of those asteroid impacts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 I, I can't remember which one it came from. It might have been the one that killed the dinosaurs. But either way, it's in this particular layer called the iridium layer. That is going to be a very, very thin layer then, isn't it? Yeah, and it means that you can't mine it directly. So it's it comes as a byproduct from mining other things. You, It, it, it comes out as like a uh, an impurity, if you like. Yeah. But that means the the global um, amount of iridium mined each year is uh, is about a ton. So wow. for, for, for how big that is, imagine an exercise ball. Yeah. Um, that's, that's how much iridium is, oh is mined each year. It's going to, there's going to be a scramble for who owns that ball, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and lots of companies are betting on uh, that this technology won't be able to, we won't be able to build enough electrolyzers okay. use it, using this. However, um, others are saying, you know, we can recycle this. We, we already do this for yeah. other precious metals, yeah. um, for example, in catalytic converters. Um, so, and, and we can reduce the amount of iridium that you need. But it doesn't get away from the fact that it's expensive. Yeah. So the third one. So the third one uh, tries to basically take the benefits of both of the previous technologies. So um, it's it's running in an alkaline environment again, 
So that means you can use the cheap catalysts, but we're also using a membrane. So it means you can keep your electrodes close uh, together. Yeah. So this is what I'm working on, which is anion exchange membrane um, electrolysis. So anion, because rather than conducting H plus through the membrane, we're conducting OH minus. So it's a negatively, negatively charged ion. Um, and yeah, so in theory, this will bring down the cost because it's cheaper to build the device and it's cheaper to run the device. So are you allowed to tell us, well, tell us what you are allowed to tell us about where you are. And- yeah, so um, so I'm, um, it's a very early stage technology. The main challenge with it is degradation. So the, the you build the device, it, the performance just falls apart very quickly. So right. like, uh, yeah, it's it, it, it won't last very long, certainly not for a commercial application. Okay. Um, so people are working on new catalysts, new membranes, um, and it's kind of a lot of work carried out by chemists mostly in isolation there's not so many people trying to tie everything together and test a whole device so that's that's really what i'm trying to do is um is do sort of full device testing and understand this degradation so have you actually built one yeah yeah i've got some in the lab (laughs) yeah (laughs) very small sort of five five square square centimeters they the the power um they suck back is is about as much as a light bulb right yeah it doesn't produce much hydrogen does it work uh, it works for for a brief time, yeah. You see the bubbles coming out; it's quite satisfying. <laughs> and then very quickly, the membrane just breaks down. <laughs> so, is, is part of what you and others are doing is you're trying to what find other chemicals that go on your membrane? Is that it? Are you trying different ones, or I mean, how do yeah. you, how do you how are you planning on making this membrane last long enough to be a commercially viable thing? Well, I mean, I'm not a polymer scientist, so I, I can't tell you exactly that, what membrane you're going to want to make. <laughs> if I did know that, then uh, I might have won the Nobel Prize already. But yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah it's, it's, it's about trying to find and, and test uh, new membrane materials and, and understand the, the chemistry behind what's, how these things are falling apart. Um, yeah. So which, if you're not making the membrane, which bit are you making? Or maybe you're not making it. I'm, I'm not making it. I'm, I'm designing he's, he's tests. It to, and, together. Yeah, I'm, I'm testing and basically explaining to the people who make the membranes, for example, why their membranes are no good. This is not working. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go back to the drawing board. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's been a lot of designing tests and building devices, that sort of thing. But you have the belief that this is the best method going forward. I think so, yeah. Um, what I will say, though, is that in terms of net zero and trying to actually solve climate change, yeah. this technology is still in the lab, so it's it's not going to solve climate change. Yeah, um, okay. It's going to be the technologies that we already have which are going to help us there. We'll need this in the future because yeah. we, we, we won't have enough iridium to last forever. Um, but, yeah, it's in terms of actually building systems and, and deploying them in the world, it's going to be the traditional alkaline and the, the PEM electrolyzers in the, the short term. Okay, so tell us a little bit about this meetings you were going to, because that what was of interest to me is it seemed like when we were chatting and when we last met down in London that it seemed like the bunch of you, and tell us who it was, who were meeting up, you were beginning to sketch out what sounded to me like the our energy policy for the nation that going forwards. Mm. That's how it sounds. So tell us a little bit about it and, and yeah. tell us if I was right about that or not. So, yeah, I guess as part of the PhD, you could you get access to different uh, circles of discussion, whether it's from the, 
the sort of the pure science conferences where you're talking about the nitty gritty details of the chemistry all the way up to um, more kind of policy type stuff. And yeah, I really got interested in that, that whole side of things. Um, I think the whole application side and, and how, how you could actually change the world for the better is really inspires me. Yeah. Um, so I, one of the meetings that I went along to, it was a energy storage policy masterclass. Yeah. Um, and it was it felt like it felt like less of a masterclass and more of a um a revolutionary uh meeting uh with with a with a great sense of urgency <laughs> well that's um, encouraging it was i'll try and paint you a bit of a picture it was um at the institute for mechanical engineers which um i don't know if you know but it's 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 next it's it's right near the treasury just um just off st james park yeah um uh, and it's right next to the Institute for Civil Engineers. Um, the reason being was the guy who founded it, George Stevenson, um, they, they wouldn't let him in the Civil Engineering Institute. So, <laughs> so he, he founded his own one right next door. Um, so we're, George Stevenson of the, the, the steam, steam trains. Yeah, yeah, that's oh. right. That's the guy. So we're, we're, we, we go to this place and it's this oak paneled room, big portrait of George on the wall. And yeah, you've got all these scientists and engineers and advisors to the government and, and various other organizations all having this heated debate about how we're going to implement energy storage and, yeah. and what the best way is to do that. And I was, I was kind of thinking they're going to say stuff about batteries, about like uh, pumped hydro storage, all, all these kind of yeah. things. And all they really talked about, the main thing was hydrogen. Wow. Um, and they, they kept coming back to that in some way. And then, and it was a question of how much hydrogen storage do we need? And there were, nobody could agree. But what we could agree on is that we need some. So we should build some. Okay, why do we need hydrogen storage? What's that got <clears throat> to do with a national energy policy? So, yeah, for thinking about the electricity grid, um, you've got the producers and you've got the, the users. Um, and it's, that's a supply chain, but it's got zero inventory. So, what does that mean? So you always need to have your supply and demand balanced out perfectly. Otherwise, the whole thing falls apart. So for, for any given moment, you need the exact amount of energy being used as is produced. Oh, is that what they mean when they talk about balancing the grid? Exactly, yeah. So in, in the past, it was, it was quite easy. We had you know, lots of coal-fired power stations, uh, and they're, they're very predictable to, to run. You can kind of ramp them up and down a bit. Um, and it's yeah. oh, I got so that's when they talk about that that in the grid they're on standby when the FA Cup comes to half time and twenty one. Yeah. Everyone's people, making tea. Yeah, twenty one <laughs> people boil the kettle, so they if they fire up another. So they have to station. be on the phone saying to to the Magnox, right? Ready, go, go, quick, switch it on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> <That's> brilliant. <laughs> so, um, but so so that that meant you had a system where your demand fluctuated a bit, but was on hold generally predictable you could you could predict when people needed more electricity and not um but your supply you had very much you had control over that yeah now we're moving to renewable electricity and then you've got your likes of wind and solar so the um supply becomes unpredictable as well right so you need a you need some way of um smoothing out um that supply and demand because you'll have periods of excess supply you'll have periods of um of um, so that's storage demand. storage yeah so at, at the minute we just use we just burn gas um so have some gas power stations on standby to s smooth out the peaks and troughs and then when we have too much electricity just have to turn off the wind turbines um 
and then you've got some assets sat around doing nothing, which is yeah. a bit of a waste. So that's why that's why you need storage. So what we really need to build is is large banks of batteries. So I mean that's one idea, and certain countries are doing that. So yeah. Australia have have done a bunch of that. Um, I think there's I think, a lot in California as well, isn't there? I think you yeah, there are a lot in California. I think Tesla had some project out in Hawaii yeah. as well. Yeah. Problem with batteries is they're very expensive, and the lifespan's not too good it's no it's not too good there's there's people working on much better technologies that's that's another story of why those don't get okay. implemented <laughs> um but um yeah the, it, the the problem with the battery is it's a very expensive device to have sat around it's not doing anything so in terms of the peaks of supply and demand um a really good example of a long-term one is is just winter heating yeah so in in the northern hemisphere we use hell of a lot more energy in the winter than we do in the summer and that, that at the moment sort of met by gas mostly that we burn in the boilers yeah but if you want if we're doing this all with renewable electricity you can't have a bunch of batteries that you only discharge once a year and recharge once a year that would just be phenomenally well, expensive yeah. so where hydrogen could come in on this is you have um you have electrolyzers yeah. And you run them using surplus renewable electricity. In the summer, when yeah. it's sunny. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or when there's too much wind, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then they produce hydrogen, which you store. Um, and the best solution we have for that at the minute is uh, salt caverns. There's a lot in East Yorkshire. Oh, yeah. 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 Massive things, several times the size of St. Paul's, um, many miles underground. So you can put a lot of gas down there and then you save that for you, for when you need it. That makes sense. Need it. So I, I remember there was a, a big argument broke out. I think it was in Ireland where there was plans to open up these salt caverns. And I think there was a lot of opposition because they, I, I, as I remember, I might be getting this wrong, but there was a worry that they would use the salt caverns the way they have, like the ones done in Cheshire, just basically for pumping toxic waste in. Mm. But obviously storing hydrogen in them would be a lot better use of those salt caverns. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, so you, wait a minute. So you produce the hydrogen. How do you produce the hydrogen? You put your electrolyzer, mm. or the one we currently have. What do you do? Do you just sort of bolt it onto every wind turbine? It's, that's that's one idea. Um, yeah, there's people working on putting electrolyzers on wind turbines and out, out at sea. Uh, so you sort of have an integrated kind of solution. Wow. Um, yeah, so that's that's one idea. Uh, there's a project that's going on at the minute. I think it's um, I think it's SSE and Equinor, uh, just north of Hull. Um, they've got the wind farm off on the Dogger Bank. Oh, the huge one, yeah. Yeah, the, the one that's sort of coming on in, in various phases. It's the biggest biggest one in the world, I believe. Yeah, I think um, when it comes on, it will... I mean, Britain is already very high up in terms of renewable from wind and i think when dogger mm. one two three and four is i think we become the number one yeah i can't who was it was saying that we we want to become the saudi arabia of wind or something like that <laughs> <laughs> all we um, have to do is connect up to get the wind coming out of the house of lords and the commons <laughs> never mind i thought that's when you said blue hydrogen i had i imagine that's what it was we're just going to suck the hot air out of the house of commons and we'd, we'd be sorted <laughs> probably would sort you out <laughs> So this, yeah, this project they've got they've got the wind farm there, they've got the salt caverns which are local, and then they're going to just have a, a a station where you have a bunch of electrolyzers, tap off the 
um, electricity from the wind farm and then just pump the hydrogen straight down underground. And then they've got, I think, a gas turbine, uh, which is not the most efficient way of using your hydrogen, but uh-huh. it works okay. Um, and they can just feed that into there when they need to top up the grid. And the the oxygen, which is the other half of what's mm. coming out of the electrolyzer, presumably you just squirt that out into the ocean. Yeah, that just goes up in the air. Um, I mean, oxygen is valuable, but it's for most projects, it's going to be too much of a faff to actually capture that. I mean, for example, um, hydrogen is actually produced from um, when they do the chloral alkali process, where for producing um, sodium hydroxide and other other sort of alkali um, substances, they produce a hell of a lot of hydrogen from that, but they don't capture it because the sodium hydroxide is so much more valuable that it's not worth their time to actually use that hydrogen. Extend that process. So they just then. they just get rid. That's just the nature of um, <laughs> how uh, how chemical processes kind of work, or, or how you know how humans design chem- processes in general. It's, so so yeah. then, if this, what were they saying about this? I mean, the, at the moment, you painted a picture of this happening in the lab, mm. but at this meeting, what was the nature of the discussion about this then? The nature of the discussion was very much, we need to build this now, and we need to find a way of talking to government and, and making things happen. The other um, stuff I hear is that there's basically a lot of money that's ready to go into this, and... I think it would have moved sooner if there'd been more of a strategy from government, but it seems that now it's going to be moving regardless. So I think the government's kind of going to be left behind in some ways on the, on this. So, so who was at this meeting? When you say those people wanted it to happen, were they the scientists, you know, your bosses, the top, top scientists? Um, mm. Were there people from industry there? When you say there's money ready, was that industry money? And were there any people from government there? You said there were civil servants. So is anyone from government getting this message? I can't remember how many people from government there were. I don't think there were many. Uh, it's, yeah, especially not from uh, the, the likes of the Treasury. Apparently they're notoriously hard to get hold of. <laughs> That's because they're always too busy bailing out their mates at the banks. <laughs> yeah. They're yeah. busy, you know. When banks collapse that frequently, it's a lot of paperwork. I'm sure. But yeah, it was, it was mostly... Um, People with a background in either academia or industry, but they they were very senior in in their in their roles and have various advisory positions. So uh, I would say they would be categorised as the the experts, and, and in terms of how the media would talk about them. And what about industry? Were they there? Yeah, yeah, industry were there. They're, they're all they're all ready to go. They're making lots of sales already. Lots of plans going going ahead. So if, if a, a minister or someone from the Treasury could pull themselves away from their mm. extraordinarily important work, um, was it your impression that the scientists in the industry would say, look, here's a plan, give us, an, give us a guarantee that there's going to be national backing for this and we're off? Yeah, yeah, I think that's the main concern is that people want a bit more certainty in terms of what the plan, the plan is because there's lots of different directions to, to go in. One of the things that comes up a lot is the discussion on whether what, what's the best way of transmitting your energy so do you want to send it in a pipe or do you want to send it through a cable yeah that's what i was gonna mm. ask next okay the, yeah the transportation of this how, how does it come into my house <laughs> exactly so the government are quite on board at the minute with the idea of creating 
putting hydrogen in the gas grid, basically. And I think they've got projects around Leeds and, and other places to pilot this. This, I'm not sure, is a great idea, really. Um, basically, because uh, actually producing your hydrogen and then, um, yeah, having to maintain something to distribute that and then burn it on the other end is going to be way less efficient than just using electricity, which is produced as electricity, transmitting that through a cable and then using it in, in that same form. Okay, but either way, I mean, if it's gas, that you've got to pump it in there under pressure mm. and you're going to have to upgrade the, the pipe network because um, these figures are old, but I remember seeing figures that said up to a quarter of the gas that goes into the gas system leaks out into the ground. Yep, yep. So that you'd have to solve that and there's an awful lot of pipes down there. Yeah. And they've got to be maintained under pressure. I mean, once it gets to your house, it's easy because, if I remember rightly, when we moved from town gas to natural gas, they had to replace all the little nozzles in everyone's cookers and boilers. And if they've saved those little nozzles, we can just put them back in because it's the old <laughs> gas town nozzles that we need for I wouldn't, I wouldn't count on that. But. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be lovely if someone goes, someone, but go and open up that cupboard again and get those 450 million little <laughs> nozzles. We need them back. <laughs> you might need to polish each one. All right, but so it's that or you've got to burn it and then have the problems of distribution in the high tension cables anyway where you've got to have it at a high voltage. Why are they going for the for the gas? What, what, I mean, I know you don't know, but what's your guess? So my my guess with the gas is it, the, the main um, parties that are pushing this are the current gas grid operators. Oh, surprise, surprise. Um, and boi uh, current gas boiler makers. They're, they're already selling hydrogen-ready boilers and this sort of thing. It, it seems to me, and, and to others as well, I th I th there was a, a report published on, on this sort of... Um, pipe versus cable argument and 35 different bodies basically came to the conclusion that the putting it in a pipe is a bad idea basically um, in terms of the efficiency uh, so but they they seem to be going down this route um and I, I, yeah i think it is a i think the public are probably being missold on that but you did sort of say that, that there isn't the customer base out there at the moment yes well the they, the, the government could just basically say, right, we're putting hydrogen in the gas grid, so that's going to create a big demand for, for hydrogen. Yeah. Um, but the, I guess my worry is that people don't really know necessarily about these changes that are happening. And, and there's a, they always say, you know, we want to give people choice and, and consumer freedom and all this sort of stuff. But you don't get to decide what gets put in the pipe that's sent to your house, and that's going to limit you as to what fuel you can use to heat your home um and then you'll be tied into the the costs that are associated with that and if if that's inherently more expensive than using electricity then well, you, yeah you're not getting a well, choice in that someone's just imposing that down, they, yeah. exactly yeah and i don't think people are aware of aware of that and um, that it could be a lot more expensive doing it this way i don't think it's fully clear the picture but i think it's a discussion that should be more public Okay, because presumably, obviously, the people who own that enormous infrastructure, mm. what used to be British Gas, um, and all of the boiler makers and all of the plumbers, if that, if we decide not to put the hydrogen in there, then they're faced the same problem that the the oil producers have: that a lot of their infrastructure and a lot of what they own mm. declines very rapidly in what it's actually worth, and eventually it just becomes like 
old horseshoes after we've invented the car. Yeah, it would, no one needs them. It'd be like a um, if you were, if you decided to go for full electrification, then it would be like a a beachings type decommissioning of the gas grid. Right, but Get, on the other rid hand, of all the pipes. If we go for electricity, yeah, then everyone's got to buy a new cooker. And you're going to need a diff. You're going to well. You don't necessarily have to get rid of your old boiler because there is that technology which I saw, which I thought was interesting when I saw it. A company saying we would be able to retrofit into all of your old gas boilers, which mm. heat water in pipes, but use a microwave in insert. So there, all of that infrastructure in your house stays as it is, but you take out the gas burning bit and put in a, a microwave bit, which will run off electricity. Mm. But would yeah. we also then all need new? I hate electric cookers. I'm not, a very, <laughs> I'm not a very good cook as it is. But when it's it's not on, it's not on. Oh, it's molten hot and it's burnt. Well, and I mean, yeah, I'm also I prefer a gas cooker, but they have gotten a lot better. Uh, the the one that I've got in my flat at the minute is yes, it's not actually that bad. And induction is is very good. But the yeah, so that you would have to invest in new devices for people's homes. Like the heat pumps, for example, I know there's a lot of contention about that, and I'm not I'm no expert in this, but from what I can see, the the technology is definitely a very good one, but its implementation is not necessarily always the best. Um, no, like, like a heat pump, for example, is it, it is very very efficient because you're taking heat from the outside, so you um, it is more than a hundred percent efficient. Wait a minute, it can't be more than a hundred. Can't even be a hundred percent efficient. Never mind 100% efficient. Otherwise, you've got a perpetual motion machine. But it's more efficient. Well, it's not creating the heat for its... It's 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 just concentrating the heat. Yeah. So you're not having to generate new heat. No, but it's, it's basically like a fridge, mm-hmm. but in reverse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You just reverse the two coils and you've got the warm coil inside. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it does work out as way, way cheaper to heat at home. Yeah, if, yeah, if exactly. it's implemented correctly. Yeah, if it's implemented, the problem is is old old leaky houses don't they don't work so well with heat pumps. If you've got a house like ours, mm. which yeah, you need to through. You need, yeah, you need to invest in good insulation. It doesn't oh. need to be a sealed box by any means, but yeah. yeah. Anyway, this is we're kind of getting off my my topic of expertise. Yeah. Here. So, <laughs> but, what about the, the electrical side then? Yeah. So, um, I guess. It, you'd have the problems of having to change all your appliances, this sort of stuff to be fully electrified. However, you'd then be able to take advantage directly of the cheaper renewable electricity, which we're going to be implementing. Whereas if you're having to go through hydrogen and all of that sort of process, but for everything that's, that's going to add a lot of cost. So just to get that right, then it's, it's you're producing the electricity through hydrogen at source and then the electricity is being transferred so we're not even looking at the transportation of hydrogen for that second system yeah Yeah. so so you've got a choice between if you're putting hydrogen in the grid they're basically saying um we're gonna take that cheap renewable electricity yeah Yeah. convert as much as possible into hydrogen or however much you need to feed uh, our current demand for gas now and then, the other way of of looking at it is saying, right, let's try and electrify as much as possible. Yeah. Use that renewable electricity directly to make yeah. to, to to power everything, and then we we know that we'll need to do some balancing, but yeah. we can do that just with 
hydrogen, stored in, hydrogen. In, stored in a hydrogen, and the hydrogen doesn't have to go anywhere. Yes, it just has yeah, to, that was, yeah. That's... Um, it, can, it can just stay there. I mean, you might need to, I don't know, it's not clear necessarily where your renewable energy will be yeah. um, created and where your hydrogen needs to be stored. So yeah. you'll have to do some sort of transportation in there, maybe. But, um, but when there's you... a lot less than distributing it to everybody. Yeah, so if you're pumping it into the big caverns to... Yeah. Met, to and use it, when there's the sun isn't shining or the wind isn't blowing. Yeah. What you then do is suck the hydrogen back out and convert and it back into, into electricity. A, in a big electricity plant. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you're not sending it to Mrs. Miggins's house. Yeah. You're yeah. burning it somewhere central. Yeah. And then putting the electricity in the same high tension cables we've got. Yeah. And it's much more efficient to consume your hydrogen on a large scale like that than it would be in lots of little boilers. Ian, can I ask another question? Yeah. I'd, I'd been reading about the grid and apparently there's billions of, of projects that are waiting to be connected to the grid. There seems to be an issue with that. Is that something what, you What know? sort of projects? I don't, yes. Oh, well, wait a minute. Like like production, electricity production? Yeah. Quite possibly. I, I'd believe that. Well, we were talking a while ago about um, the big solar farms and I heard someone else speaking about wind farms in China that they they're building these things like nobody's business and the statistics of how many they've got mm. look great. But when we were talking and I heard someone else saying this about wind farms, so many of them are not connected. Yeah. I've, I've heard this about uh, China as well. And yeah, I, I haven't, I haven't read anything concrete, but they're, I, th I think they, they don't necessarily have a joined up thinking in terms of, how they're going to integrate everything and then some, somebody's just said right we need to have lots of renewable energy so build all these things <laughs> but you i mean as, as we were saying about the balancing of a grid yeah you, you you can have the problem of having too much and you're on this you are in in the position of this planning of the grid so it, i mean the grid needs a lot of updating it needs a lot really. of replanning yeah. yeah and this is sort of what's being discussed and another thing with the balancing is uh, yeah so having more electricity generation is great but you, you don't want to have too much um and and actually having more um so i think there's there's going to be an interesting report out soon from the royal society which is all about this storage stuff um and this was what was being discussed at this uh this meeting in part um but yeah you can have too much generation because it would be more expensive to have more generation which you have to turn on and off than it would be to have a bigger storage cavern, for example. Um, and oh, okay. so, you know, uh, and I think what, what this report is, which will come out soon from the Royal Society, looked at was um, how uh, wind fluctuated over a really long period. So I think it was about 40 years, something like that. Um, and, We're getting and, a lot more stronger wind now, aren't we? Yeah, but it, it really fluctuates, apparently. You can have sort of 10 years where the wind is less than... The previous 10 so if you only looked at a short time scale you could end up building a lot more um capacity for generation or a lot less capacity and you'd find yourself in a situation where you wouldn't have enough capacity okay so wait a minute so so you've got to make sure your store is big enough to account i was going to say then when you talk about storage we're not mm. talking about overnight storage no we're talking about maybe 10 years of storage 10 years of, wait a minute Ten years of what? You're not surely you're not talking about being able to store enough hydrogen to power even a town for ten years, are you? Um, yeah, it, we're talking about. Um, <laughs> I think I've got the the numbers here. 
yeah, you're gonna need you're gonna need many um many hundreds of terawatts hours of storage. Hundreds of terawatts. So that yeah. wait a minute. Hundreds of that would mean that they're talking about being able to store the energy that would power the country for a little while. Yeah. I mean you've got to be in a you gotta be in a situation where you can cover for those periods of, of where you don't have a lot of generation um for for a long period. But you've also got to be in a situation where Imagine you've got no, the wind drops to zero and the and it's dark. You've got to be able to produce all of your electricity from from stored sources as well. They're going to need to put that hydrogen even in cabins that are four times the size for St. Paul's. So they're going to need to be under pressure. Yeah, that's that's another another thing they're looking at too. Actually, um, it's as you can think about your storage on different timescales. So the hydrogen will be good for a longer term storage. Batteries will be great for your sort of hour to hour fluctuations, switch on and off really quickly, rapid charge and discharge. Um, and then um, stuff that comes in the middle is, is various technologies. And I think one is, I think it's compressed air. Um, so you, and you could use that on the hydrogen, potentially compress the hydrogen. So basically you're, you put energy in to compress it. And then you take the energy out when you um, l- um, release that pressure. Oh, and right. You can also take advantage of the heating and cooling effects that you get from that. Right, that's this, quite an efficient this way reminds of me energy. of when they um, in places like France and Switzerland, where they use electricity at night to pump water up into exactly. the mountains. Yeah, and and the Swiss use this to cheat because the Swiss claim that all their electricity is, or some huge proportion is, is all it's all hydroelectrics or green. Mm. What they don't say, and this is the truth, is that they buy from Germany electricity produced by burning German coal <laughs> to pump their water up, but yeah. they don't tell you that bit, so it's actually bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> In those discussions, is does it look to you, I mean, obviously, you know, you're just a couple of years into a PhD, mm. and it's, it's amazing to me that you're even invited along, but are we... Are we beginning to see the embryonic form of a national power policy emerging in those discussions? Because if the industry is saying, this is what we can build, this is what we're going to invest in, and the scientists are saying, this doesn't work, this will, this works now, this might work in 10 years' time, then whichever government gets in power, there's going to be certain questions which industry will say, nope, that doesn't work. It'd be like, yes, minister, where the minister walks in and goes, right, well, we're going to do this. And Sir Humphrey goes... No, Minister, we're not. We're going to do this instead. <laughs> I, th- I think you're right. Yeah, I think uh, I think there's a con- lot of concern about how which way it's going to go and how quickly it's going to happen. I think one way or another, it is going to happen. Um, you know, the ball the ball's rolling and it, it can't be stopped. There's going to be a transition. We're going to end up in a in a in a better in a better place. Well, I certainly hope so. Listen, yeah. Ian, thanks very much for talking to us. Um, Keep spreading that uh, water. Give us some hydrogen. We need you to get back to work, in fact. What are you doing here? (laughs) Back to the lab. Thanks, Ian. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review. And if you'd like to leave a comment, which would be great, we've set up a Hyperland Substack. So go to Substack, look up Hyperland, leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think. And if you've got ideas that we should cover, that would be great too. That's That's brilliant. Thank you.